Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Today we're going to be talking about a serious topic and that is youth suicide. And this is an update episode because Earlier in the coronavirus epidemic, we produced episodes on suicide prevention. We knew there were going to be psychological fallouts from the social distancing, the lockdowns, the fear being promoted uh, through the media regarding the coronavirus, and even financial repercussions. I, I shared with you back in our initial broadcast for every 1% increase in unemployment, there's a 0.078% increase in suicides. And one in three people who die by suicide is unemployed at the time of their deaths. And so all the business lockdowns and the financial stress was obviously going to cause problems. We predicted it, and I really take no delight in saying I told you so, but it it did work out. Suicide rates are going up during this period we're living through right now, the coronavirus time and the post-coronavirus. But we also warned about the severe psychological harm to youth. And here's a couple of statistics that should really grab our attention. This comes from England. Nearly five times as many children died of suicide during the first year of the coronavirus lockdown in the United Kingdom than died from the virus itself. Five times during the lockdown, more youth died of suicide than died of the coronavirus. And this isn't just something pulled out of somebody's hat. These are researchers teamed up from the University College of London, the University of York, University of Liverpool, and the University of Bristol. And really what prompted me for this episode was a full-page article that I saw in the relatively new newspaper called the Epoch Times, and this appeared July 7th, 2021, and it said this, psychiatric hospital visits among youth increased 31% last year, and medical insurance claims for intentional self-harm among 13 to 18-year-olds skyrocketed between April 2019 and April 2020. I've mentioned this before, but what is actually going on at this point in history reminds me from decades ago when I was a youth pastor. I was being mentored by a senior pastor in our congregation. I was a Protestant minister at the time. And during hospital visitations, I took a class on that, but it's much better to have somebody mentor you. I ended up as a youth pastor spending more time in the psychiatric wing of our hospital or going to a psychiatric hospital for visiting the youth we were reaching in our community than people, you know, recovering from a physical 
sickness. And it seems like this is another round what is going on. And not just suicide, but anxiety disorders amongst 13 and 18-year-olds were up 93% in April 2020. And I think we need to be careful here because now they're talking about this Delta uh variety of the coronavirus and, you know, the media is going nonstop on it. And, you know, we need masks, we need social distancing, we need lockdowns. And we need to be careful because statistically, children, at least, are much more likely to drown than they are to die of the coronavirus. So we need for children and youth, perhaps a more balanced approach than we did in our first round when the coronavirus outbreak occurred. And I'm pleading for that and also telling parents need to be really on the alert here because something very significant is going on amongst youth suicide. Now, I'd like to ask the question, why the youth suicides? Not just during the coronavirus, because we do know that the youth suicide was a very significant problem, a growing problem, before the coronavirus outbreak, uh, outbreak even came. The coronavirus lockdowns just aggravated a problem that was already significant. So why is this going on? What is making youth so prone to the suicide threat? And I have at least a few ideas I'd like to share with you. And the first is, and this might seem abstract, philosophical, or whatever, but right at the top, I would share a weak worldview is a significant cause for the major troubles going on amongst our youth, including self-harm and suicide. Why is that? Your worldview enables your life to have meaning to have worth. I shared with you a a series on worldview. I'm going to share with you right now about five of the seven questions that was a basic outline for that series of episodes. And they're they're simply questions that are so significant that um, it's very difficult to navigate a stressful life, and we all have stressful lives in the 21st century, it seems, successfully. First question, Where do I come from? This is a question that needs to be asked. Now, if you go to a public school, you'll be told you are a result of random chance mutations, Darwinism. If you go to a Catholic school, at least the majority of them, there's some good exceptions, you'll get Theistic evolution, which I have already described, is simply an adjective in front of evolution. Theistic evolution is still taking the Darwinian model of how we got here, and it does not enhance life meaning. And it really, I would dare say, does a pathetic job of doing that. Uh, I was, as a teenager, a victim of that. I know what I'm talking about and it really sent me for a loop. Okay, the first question, we need to know our origin. Where do we come from? Question two, 
we do need to know where we are going. And there's two questions here. First, what happens after I die? And I will say um, most Protestant and Catholic youth have a pretty good idea of what that is. Uh, but there's a second question related to that, and that's what's eternal life like after the second coming of Jesus Christ? And here's where I think you would see a huge drop-off of those who could give an accurate description of what that's going to be like. I think you're going to find a lot of catechists also have a problem with that, because eternal life after Christ's second coming involves a real body. You're not going to be in a grave, nor are you going to be a kind of translucent a ghost uh, somewhere up in the skies, there will be eternal life on a new earth with rivers and mountains and animals and people and uh, peace and health and a number of other things. And psychologists will tell us our view of what our future, our destiny is, affects our life today. I think there's mass confusion trying to answer the question, what is eternal life like after the second coming of Christ? And then the third question, the big question, why am I here? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? I've told this story before, but it's one of these things you'll never forget. Uh, I was living in Miami for a summer after graduating from college with two of my Christian buddies, and there was some wild uh, rock concert coming to the Orange Bowl, the football stadium there in Miami. And we were studying a lot of theology that summer. We thought, you know, we need to just get out and do some evangelism, not just stay in the books. So we went out with little uh, mini scripture selections and a little booklet to hand out to those going to the rock concert. And you know, a lot of people made fun of us as they're going in and everything else. And just as the concert was beginning, a couple came flying down. They had these circular ramps coming down from the seating in the Orange Bowl. And these young people said, our friends overdosing, you know, we're scared to death that, you know, we we don't know what to do with him. And so we went up and, and helped them get their friend down. We took him back to our house, and he was okay, but he was kind of like passed out in a sense of uh, like he was sleeping or kind of quasi-coma, and then intermittently he would pop up, kind of like one of these movies where you see somebody they thought was dead and all of a sudden sits up from a prone position, and he goes, why are we here? And, and his girlfriend says to him, no, honey, 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 we're not supposed to ask questions like that. Lie back down. I just thought to myself, no, that is precisely the type of question we do need to be asking ourselves. Why are we here? I was teaching a Bible study to some young people in downtown Greenville in an underground coffee shop, and they were high schoolers and college students. But the clerk that was waiting on us serving coffee and tea, when I got to the point 
of asking that question, why are we here? All of a sudden I saw he just froze and started looking at me. So I raised my voice and asked the question again, why are we here? What's our, what, what's our reason for being here? And I sure got his attention. And that's nice thing about having a Bible study, kind of where the public can interact with you. USA Today, the newspaper, asked folks, now, if you could ask God just one question, one question for God, and get a direct and immediate answer, I mean, you, the number one question Americans would ask God if they could ask him one question, it was this, what's my purpose here? Why am I here? And this is a worldview question. If you know your life has meaning, it was designed by God, and you have a purpose, that's going to help you through times of anxiety and depression. That's going to help you in preventing suicide attempts. But unfortunately, Gallup interviewed American folks, and two-thirds of those reporting from this Gallup survey believe that, quote, most churches and synagogues today are not effective in helping people find meaning in life. Ouch. You know, this is, this is something that can help everyone, youth and adults. This USA Today survey was just, I imagine it's mostly adults responding, and it's a question that youth have intensely and it'd be a wonderful topic for some homilies, or even several times in homilies through the year bringing up the topic. Couple other questions. Uh, the question is, what is truth? Because if you don't have a handle on the truth or where to find truth, you're going to be misled. And one of the things, and I'm trying to concentrate particularly on threats to Catholic youth, is a little book called UCAT. It's called the Youth Catechism. And in many instances, the book has a lot of helpful things, but towards the beginning, it has some fatal poison to totally darken the idea of truth in the minds of Catholic youth. I know that's a strong statement, but let me read to you exactly what the UCAT says. Quote, the authors of Scripture were children of their time. They shared the cultural ideas of the world around them and often were also dominated by its errors. Often dominated by the errors of their age. Like Moses is pretty clear about homosexuality. So was St. Paul. Too bad. They were dominated by the errors of their time. No, that is a lie. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 107, says that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach truth. Young people need truth. Truth is part of this foundational worldview that gives structure to your life.
And then finally, the last question, worldview question, how do I know right from wrong? And I have mentioned this multiple times, and one of the reasons that I haven't heard anybody else on Catholic radio mentioning this, the Knights of Columbus survey found that the idea of knowing right from wrong, there's, there's absolute right and wrong, uh, Catholic youth were significantly worse off than the general population, the non-Catholic youth. And so without these foundational components to make up a worldview, so you have meaning, structure, truth, purpose, direction, and, and life, uh, you're vulnerable. You're very vulnerable. Now, that's the worldview questions, and that leads into the second point related to why is there such growing rates of suicide amongst American youth? And one of the, what shall I say, results of the loss of the things I just mentioned, truth, meaning, knowing where you come from, where you're going, your purpose in life, is nihilism. And this is what the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says about nihilism. It's from the Latin meaning nothing. In other words, you take out the things I just mentioned with worldview, and what you're left with is nothing, nihilism. And it gives three definitions, and listen carefully. A viewpoint, that means it's a worldview, that traditional values and beliefs are unfounded, and that existence is senseless and useless. B, a doctrine that denies any objective ground of truth, especially moral truths. C, a belief that conditions in the social organizations, the culture, life today, are so bad as to make destruction desirable. That's suicide, desirable. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, famous for his nihilism, said that the highest values are losing their value. There's no goal to life. There's no truth, and there's no answer to the question, why? This is what an Orthodox monk by the name of Eugene Seraphim Rose said, and he was kind of a, a child of the San Francisco counterculture, uh, came out in a rather strong way and embraced Christianity. He said this, and I quote him, nihilism has become in our time so widespread and pervasive, has entered so deeply into the minds and hearts of all men living today, there is no longer any front on which it may be fought. In other words, you're, you're, you're not going to just say, well, this is a question of a particular subject in school or a particular aspect of life like social media or the music industry or something. He says it's everywhere. It's pervasive. It's dominant. And if there's no answer to the question why, there's no truth, there's no meaning, there's nothing, you're left vulnerable. Now, uh, Father Seraphim Rose, again an Orthodox monk, has a couple of friends who probably wrote the hardest-hitting book that I have ever read on the condition of youth in the modern world, 
and it is just, I don't know of anything quite like it. It's entitled Youth of the Apocalypse and the Last True Rebellion. Uh, These authors believed, back when they wrote this a few decades ago, the book's out of print, that we're entering in to the great apostasy. And this widespread nihilism that Father Rose, one of the friends of the authors of Youth of the Apocalypse, believed that this is what we are in. And I'm going to read you a a few selections from this book. The philosophy of the aftermath and apocalypse are summed up in one word, nothing. That's what nihilism means, just nothing. From childhood, we are told that we are nothing. We are educated in institutions that tell us that we came from nothing, and we are duped into believing that the whole morality of the Christian faith means nothing. Then they ask, what is the new order, if not the throne of Antichrist, the satanic imitation inversion of the kingdom of God? Nihilism has its historic end in the reign of the Antichrist. It has its ultimate and spiritual end beyond even that final satanic manifestation. And in this end, which is hell, nihilism meets its defeat. But then it says about the last genocide. The youth of today have come to the conclusion that the only hand left to wipe the tears from their eyes is the hand of suicide. This is the result of those things that I mentioned that were components of a Christian worldview. And if those go, what is left is nihilism, nothing. And from that, there's that emptiness, the profound emptiness that results in there's no reason to go on living. I'm going to mention a third aspect. We've gone from worldview to nihilism, and these are connected uh, to a two verses in the book of Proverbs that I think are quite relevant to our discussion. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. This is what it says. For he who finds me, God talking, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who misses me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Number of things here. But he who misses me injures himself. Do you know that in Hebrew, this word misses me became the principal Old Testament word for sin. And you think, well, what is sin? Well, sin is maybe, you know, doing this or, or doing that and breaking those commandments are certainly sinful. But at, a, at its essence, it's not just doing the wrong things, but it's missing me, says the Lord. It's a departure from me. And when you depart from me, you end up loving death. Then it says, but he who finds me finds life 
and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who misses me injures himself. I looked up this word in a lexicon, a Hebrew dictionary. This word injures himself actually has the connotation of injures himself violently, and then it goes on to say, all who hate me love death. You know, St. John Paul II made the statement, which actually became the origin of the Family Life Center in this broadcast. He said, God's the author of life. And the reason we have things like abortion and euthanasia, and also I'll include with that, uh, as this youth with of the apocalypse book says, the final genocide is suicide. That's the hand of nihilism taking one's own life. So God's the author of life. And St. John Paul II said you just can't fight abortion because abortion isn't just uh, an isolated problem. It's a result of the modern world's departure from God. So if you want to end abortion, you want to end euthanasia, if you want, want to end the last genocide, the youth suicide, you have to bring people back to God, who's the author of life. And really what that proverb says, for he who finds me, finding me, and this is the essence. I'm going to say something very radical, but the focus is Jesus. The focus isn't the Catholic Church. The focus isn't saints. The focus isn't apologetics. The focus isn't the Latin Mass or the English Mass. What's the focus? Jesus. And all of the good things I just mentioned are either to reflect Jesus so we can know him, serve him, and love him better. Um, it's not the Catholic Church as a church, it's the body of Jesus. The church is to bring us to love and to serve and to worship Jesus. It, the goal is God, finding him. And when we bring up youth to really know Christ in a personal way, they find love and will love life. And that's the key to some of the radical changes we might need to make in our spiritual formation to reduce the plague of youth suicide. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 347 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.